0: Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work, the podcast from the British Association of Social Workers.
1: This is space for conversation, discussion with social workers, the individuals they support
0: and colleagues working in related professions.
1: We consider the key matters affecting social workers as we explore contemporary issues
2: with a focus at the local,
1: national and global levels.
2: Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. My name is Andy McClanahan, and today my guests and I will discuss the issue of anti-racist allyship. Back in May we made an episode of the podcast which explored the issues of structural and institutional racism both in the UK and the USA. We looked at the various forms it takes, the impacts it has and how social workers can work to challenge racism. What we're going to explore today is the topic of allyship how those individuals who are not negatively impacted by racism can support those who are affected in their efforts to dismantle the structures, cultures and attitudes that lead to discrimination and prejudice. And in the context of today's discussion, where the geographical focus of our conversation is the UK and the USA, when we consider those people who are not negatively impacted by racism, we're talking about white people. Now, I recognise this is a complex issue. There are many minoritized groups in the UK and beyond that experience racism, prejudice and discrimination. In previous episodes, we have looked at the impacts of racism on Gypsy, Roma and Traveller communities. More recently, we made an episode examining the various ways antisemitism manifests itself throughout society and its impacts on Jewish people, and we've explored the intersectional discrimination experienced by LGBTQIA plus British Asian people. And if you aren't familiar with those episodes, I really encourage you to go back and have a listen. But today we're talking about anti-racist allyship in the context of anti-black racism. So we're going to talk about what allyship means and also what it costs to be an ally. Joining me for this episode are Mitt Joyner, the president of the National Association of Social Workers in the USA, and Chantelle Thomas, Baswa's anti-racism lead. Mitt and Chantelle, how are you both doing?
1: I'm doing fine, Andy. How are you doing?
0: Good, good. Me too.
2: <laughs> I'm I, I'm good. Thanks, uh, thanks Chantelle, and thanks Matt. I am I'm well actually. It's it's Friday afternoon. It's been quite a week, but uh, this is a lovely way to round off a week uh, talking to you two. Um, Chantelle, you are somewhere in the southeast, isn't that right?
0: I am, I am. At the moment, I am in Hartford. I have just travelled from home um, on a bit of a trip. Um, long story, so I'll have to it for another day. But um, yeah, I'm here, I'm happy, I'm well, and I'm really, really glad to be here.
2: You're here and that is what counts. Ned, what about <laughs> you? Remind me, I can't remember.
1: I'm in Westchester, Pennsylvania, in the okay. US. Okay? okay,
2: wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's morning time where you are. It is afternoon for us. Well, actually, it's, yeah, it is. It's 11.41. Okay. Still morning! Still morning! Still morning! morning. So, um, to start us off, for anyone who hasn't listened to the previous episode um, I made with Chantelle and Mitt, I'd really encourage you to go back and dig into it. The title is Anti-Racism and it dropped on the 27th of May 2021. To set some context, I just want to quickly recap some of the many ways in which Black people are discriminated against, which we discussed in that episode. So, we discussed health inequalities. We discussed police brutality. It was in, uh, we made that episode just about a year after the murder of George Floyd. We looked at bias in the criminal justice system. We looked at stop and search um, from a UK perspective. Um, we highlighted lower rates of life expectancy um, and higher rates of infant mortality among African American communities and high rates of poverty amongst black British communities. And that was just a few of the issues we discussed. It was a long episode and we didn't cover everything we wanted to. So, We discussed structural factors that contribute to disadvantage and discrimination. Now, the first question I want to ask both of you is whether it's correct to consider these factors to be the product of white supremacy.
1: You know, I I am. It's really important to understand labels and the meaning behind labels, because far too often when we say white supremacist, people tend to say, I don't have a robe, a, a white robe. And I don't go out hunting black people. And so I'm not a white supremacist. So, what we have to really do is think of what is the definition of racist. First off, being a racist is not a diagnosis that you have and you for, forever have. It's something that you can actively work on. But an act, and we'll get into that when we talk about allyship, but when you work on it, you have to look at institutionalized racism those things that occur that you're not even aware of. So what are some of the institutional things that happen that you're not even aware of, but that you benefit from? And so um, I think that that is what I like to break down when I'm talking with a group of people. And, that, you know, when they say, oh, well, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a racist. Um, no, but what are the things that you totally ignore? That's right. Right? Um, and, and right now in the States, we're going... With voting rights and and people are gerrymandering and they're taking the voting ballot from brown and black communities, you know, and saying that they can't have water if they stand in line. There's not as many places of access. Mm. I don't care who you are. You if you see that and you know that and you participate and you don't speak up. That is what we racism. call racism.
0: And I'll just also say as well, you know, white supremacy—a a quite simple definition of white supremacy is a system of exploitation um, that maintains the wealth, power, and white privilege. That's what it's about. It's about that mm-hmm. system. It's about it's about that you know the system, as Mitt said, that 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 um, white people benefit from um, without even knowing that un, the unearned advantage, the unearned privilege that 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 maintains the system that we that we have today.
2: Mitt, thank you. Th- that I find that really helpful. The notion that you're explaining you can be racist, but the, the if you're racist, you can work on it. Um I think something that really makes people unwilling to engage in these discussions is if they have had attitudes that they know now to be racist, that they fear they will be branded racist and can't get away from that. Uh, and that can be disempowering um and, and and make people switch off. And I think that's really helpful perspective to give that it this is you can have. Um, prejudices, and you can work against, work against those prejudices.
0: It, yeah. I think it was Maya Angelou actually that that, that said, you know, um, you 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 did what you knew then, but once you know differently, you then need to change. Do you see what I mean? So don't basically right. don't feel guilty about what you didn't know and how you acted beforehand. Once you know, once you know your, your you know your right. beliefs are racist, or once you know you know that you are being prejudiced against a particular group, you know, and you you actively work to change, you know, don't worry about if, don't worry about what you used to do. You know, I think it's that it's that it's it's right. that. It's that that paralyzes people when they then become guilty and and, and start to get kind of um, bogged down with, with that guilt. That's not
1: helpful for anybody. And, and and again, looking at the definitions, you know, think of stereotypes, prejudice and racism. Right. Stereotypes are just when you see tall people, you just automatically assume That's they can play more. basketball. That's a stereotype. You just have those things and you're like and then when you try to validate them and you say all oh, all tall people can play basketball. That's a prejudice mm-hmm. that you have. So if you find a, a tall person and they can't play basketball, you're like, what's wrong with you, right? Yeah, you blame. But, you know, the the racist part is where you make every tall person play yeah. basketball if you're a teacher. And, you're, you know, and that's when you're actually applying it or you see it. So think of it, you know, I always say everybody has stereotypes. Everybody has prejudice. I mean, you know, everybody has that. But when you know that it's within... What do you exactly. do about it? You have to be right? conscious of it, uh, don't that's, you? That's, you have to you have work to be on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah.
0: consciousness yeah. Um, that helps you then yeah. to work on it before you act on it. You know, particularly if yeah, exactly. you have that power to 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 then you know uh, enforce right. or, or you know to kind of uh, 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 keep down a particular race or, or you know a, a section of people.
1: Yeah, and so when you when you and, and I would like to add, so when we get into the structural part, like if you are a teacher and all of your pictures that you put on the wall represents one group, that's a form of racism, Mm -hmm. right? Because you can look down at your students and see. So the students aren't empowered by what they see, right? So if someone says, and and look at the book reports that you asked for, if it's it's totally validating the, the dominant group, you don't allow any other groups to learn mm. about themselves, and and that's why we have to break down those. Structures. I was going to say that as right. well
0: because we, when we talk about the dominant groups, people just accept whiteness as the as, as a dominant group. Mm-hmm. We need to challenge that as well because that is again is has been created in order to keep people apart and to segregate and everything else. You know, whiteness is a is a racial identity created by the upper class cannolianists, You know, to distinguish themselves um um from, from the servants and the slaves, and that's what that That's what um was a guarantee against slaveness whiteness was was a guarantee against I mean, slaveness, you know against enslavement um so yeah, it, it's about you know not just accepting that yes uh, um you know white is, is a dominant, but also challenging that that is a part of anti racism and that is the part that we need to really get more focused on as well, not just accepting not just acceptance.
2: When you're talking about the book reports, um, I mean, something we've talked about a lot on the podcast is decolonizing mm-hmm. education uh, curriculums, uh, and not just in social right, work. I think it is, you know, mm. across um, primary right. school education, secondary school education, across um, university level education. I just, I, I find a, a quote, and you may be familiar with this, I find this helpful in terms of helping me to understand what white supremacy means. And this sums up a lot of what's been talked about, but it's a quote from an academic called Francis Lee Ainsley. And the quote begins... By white supremacy, I do not mean to allude only to the self-conscious racism of white supremacist hate groups. I refer instead to a political, economic and cultural system in which whites overwhelmingly control power and material resources. Conscious and unconscious ideas of white superiority and entitlement are widespread and relations of white dominance and non-white subordination are daily reenacted across a broad array of institutions and social settings. I mean, I don't know very much about U.S. culture in terms of, I, I haven't lived in the States, but from living in the U.K. and Ireland, that definition seems to be pretty yes. accurate from from my perception.
1: Yes, right now in the U.S. we're having a, a battle over what they say, critical race theory and um so people aren't defining what critical race theory is. It's it's never, ever been taught in elementary or pre-K or any of the, but what it is allowing people to do is to censor the library, right? Um, so you have a group of people that will say, this book makes the dominant group or or whites, white young kids feel bad. If you talk about Native Americans and how they were here and how, um, You know, the British, you know, people came over from England and they they pushed them back on reservations. Because that makes white people feel bad, you can't talk about the Trail of Tears anymore. Well, that's just history, exactly. right? You know, really and truly what I argue when I go to these meetings is critical race theory really is American history because it's cleansed to make sure it validates uh, white yeah. Americans, right? And and we do know if you go back and you really study your history, all the groups made major okay. contributions here in the United States. But when you get into censorship, when you have a group of people determining what the books can be in your library, we are on a path to it's 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 tra- the problem. trajectory yeah. is downward. And I, right. I think there was yeah. a conservative we politician
0: here that was trying to do the same thing. Actually, you know, it's not it's not it's not um, forbidden in our schools yet. But you know, it seems to be that's the way we're going. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know that, that you could be arrested for mm-hmm. talking about white privilege or, or whiteness and and and, um, um, yes. and 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 issues of sorts. You know, talking about a critical race theory. As you said, you know, mm-hmm. we need to understand. Everybody needs to understand. You know, um, 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 yeah. whiteness and you know and, and, and about about race otherwise how do we ever move on you know how do we ever progress in right. in, in in this society if we don't all un- understand you know as black people we always have to you know our race is what defines us i think it's only recently that mm-hmm. you know that white people have had to even talk about race or be considered in racial terms you know so it it, mm-hmm. it may feel it may feel uncomfortable for some um however it's been uncomfortable for, for us for a very long time, you know, hundreds of years. So mm. it's, it's, it's a way, you know, that, that everybody needs to kind of come on the journey together again. And this is where we come to, when we come to well, allyship, we can talk about that a bit more.
2: Chantelle, that's incredibly helpful because you talked, you brought up the term white privilege. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about white privilege because I think it's a term which is very often misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some people intentionally misunderstand it. I think cert- certain sections of the media and certain politicians push misunderstandings about what white privilege is. I mean, we'll all have heard the, the argument, you know, someone saying, you know, I'm not privileged. I have, I haven't had many opportunities in life. I grew up poor. I've had to work hard for everything I've got. That's the kind of common argument you'll hear when somebody is, I suppose, kicking back against uh, the, the the notion of white privilege. But can you tell me from your perspective what white privilege means?
0: I can. Um, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to start with a, with a quote, a quote from Renee um, edel from her book, um, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. And what she says is white privilege is an absence of the consequence of racism. Um, it's an absence of structural discrimination, an absence of your race being viewed as a problem first and foremost. So I think that that sums up. You know what what uh a uh, white privilege is in in, in a kind of an, in, in a nutshell it's an it's an unacknowledged system of favoritism that advantages you know white people um, over, over white and minoritized people you know for, for for better treatment, whether it's housing, education, health you know whatever the uh the service, whatever the sector you know it's the unacknowledged unearned advantage over another. That's white
2: privilege. And it's helpful. I mean, when I was kind of reading about the concept of whiteness and white privilege, it's that notion that I don't tend to walk into a room and think, I'm white. You know, it's it's that notion that whiteness is considered what is normal. Exactly. Um, Yeah, yeah.
0: And when I walk in, the first thing they're going to see is my black skin. That's yes, the first thing yes, someone's going to yes. see before they see the glasses, before they see the hair. Right. <laughs> you know, um, that's the first thing. That, and that's what they're going to judge me on. Whatever, whatever preconceived ideas they have of black people, that's the first thing that's going to come to their fore. And, and
1: a simple thing, a little test to do with yourself is, you know, would I, want to be, um, would I want to be wealthy? People say yes. Ask people would they want to be brown or black and to write down the reasons they would want to be brown and black. Just it's a great exercise to do, even with yourself and people are there are no reasons to want to be brown and black. Right. So you already know, well, mm. that is not a privilege to be born brown or black because you're, you already in your head can list the obstacles. No, I wouldn't want to be brown or black because. So I have students just kind of say, you know, list 20 reasons why you'd want to be brown or black. And it's very hard. I was going to hard. say, do they get to 20? So, do they get to
0: the end of that list, man? No, they,
1: <laughs> they, 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 can't even, they can't even get to two mm. or three, right? They might try to identify with some people what I like to be. The, but in the end, you do know when you're privileged. You do know when you go shopping. And, the store detective's um, not following you you, you. you can ask people <laughs> for things and you're not followed yeah. around, right? Right. So you, 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 have to be, you have to be honest to explore your implicit biases, right? You have to be able to really want to explore what you know you look at your neighborhood neighborhood and they're not people like you and i say this thing about voting when if you look at voting whites have never ever white men have never ever been challenged to be they're denied right. the right to vote
2: Chantel, when we made our last episode one of the, the issues we talked about was um fear of the police and you know generally i uh, uh, you know white people don't fear the police. They they see the police as, as someone who can help them, and we got into that quite a bit. But you just mentioned, I think it's a much uh, kind of it was an interesting point you made. Being followed by a, a store detective when you're out shopping. I mean, that's even kind of a lower level, um, kind of microaggression. But that's a reality that's hap- that happens. Of
0: course, yes, it happens. It it does happen. You know, and talking and you know, you did mention about the police. I remember my mother having to tell my brothers, you know, um um um, what to do if they get stopped. You know, how mm. to. Um, you know what not to say, how to behave, and all this. You know, so, so my brothers came home alive. But yeah, the store detectives would mm-hmm. follow you around, particularly if you're in, you know, big stores, Selfridges, uh, Harvey mm-hmm. Nichols. You know, the high, the high end type of stores that you know you can feel them looking at you. You can feel mm-hmm. them following you around. You know, and it is unnerving. And sometimes yeah. I do challenge. It depends what mood I'm in. You know, right. if I'm if I'm if if I'm shiny from the block, you know, I may challenge. If I'm if I'm yeah. having a good day, I may not. Um, but it's annoying.
1: Right. And here in the U.S., I mean, it it is a part of neglect if you do not have that what they call the talk Mm -hmm. with your kids. Right. You you raise your kids based on, you know, if you get if you're starting to drive and you get stopped, keep your hands at uh, at nine and four or ten and four. Don't reach for anything. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Even if you're wrong, even if if they're wrong. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Don't don't get combative. Keep your voice and your tone. You raise your kids. Can you think, Andy, you have two young kids that you have to give them the talk because if you don't and they get out and something happens to you, you will forever carry that burden. Right. Because you haven't educated your your child as to that. There's racism Mm -hmm. here in America.
2: I'm just i just I and just find it, I, i'm I you can see I'm shaking my head just not not because I don't right. dis- agree I'm just i find it and it is it, that's horrific it, it's so far mm-hmm. uh, but it's so and, and thank you for sharing that because that mm-hmm. is something which from my perspective you know you, you read about this but when you hear it explained to you it makes sense and mm. it's just that is just I don't have words i I, I don't have yeah. an intelligible response to that other than that's mm-hmm. horrendous and, and it really encapsulates yeah. it's, uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a very illustrative example of of how significant mm-hmm. um, structural racism is in, in the states. Chantelle, in the, in in the UK, I suppose, well, Northern Ireland being different, but England, Scotland, Wales, we don't have armed police services, uh, so there is, you know, in terms of the chances of. When we talk about police brutality, uh, and we talked in the last episode about young black men and stop and search. the The chances of 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 dying, I suppose, in in an, because of a incident with police is much less likely in the UK. But that doesn't mean there's not uh, brutality. That doesn't mean there's not there's not um, harassment.
0: Exactly, you know. And the figures do speak for themselves again, you know, stop and search, you know, uh, um, 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 sentences, you know, young people are sentenced, uh, you know, to uh, a lot more severe sentences compared to their to their, to their white, white counterparts. Mm-hmm. You know, I think recently um, the police were meant to be releasing some statistics about stop and search, you know, um, after all this training since George Floyd and everything else, and they've been reluctant to, to release those stats. Why is that? Probably because there mm-hmm. has been no change. Mm-hmm. Probably because, you know, that the system wow. is still the same and nothing is is, is progressing, you know. Our, our, our young black boys, particularly our young black boys, are being stopped, are being searched, are being arrested, are being um, um, charged, are given uh, stiffer sentences um, at a much more significant and disproportionate rate compared to their white counterparts. Why is that? Structural yeah. racism, institutional racism is the only uh, a reasonable cause for that. Mm.
2: And what about, you'll you'll hear, uh, probably less so in, in recent years, but you used to hear a lot in discussions around racism, people saying... But I don't see color, as if that, as if that was a, a get out, of, you know, a get out of jail, as if that absolved them of any responsibility. You know, that sort of that sort of position is so untenable. But give us your reflections on that.
1: So, so I always say it's ridiculous because people say I don't see, I don't see color. Now, you, there's no way that you can look at me. And not see my color. So what you are trying to say is you don't validate my yes, color. Man. You don't even appreciate my lived experience. Um, and when people say, oh, you know, I don't care if people are purple, green. There are no purple, green, or people. blue people. We know that, right? So, so let's deal with the reality. And so when I walk into a classroom at my university and people don't say, oh, well, I have a black professor. I, I just, ha- I don't see her color. Mm. Come on. What you what you cho- what you are saying to me is you're going to judge me by your standards and your lived experiences because you don't even accept Who the fact that a black person can be a professor. That's right. right. That's right. So I always call it BS, Andy, and you know what BS is. <laughs> I do. I do. And it's I do. true.
0: And I say, if you don't see my color, right. you don't see me. Do, do you see what I mean? I mean right. you not see, You know, you you don't see me as you said me. You know, you are you know you're invalidating my my whole experience and and you know my whole journey. Um, so yeah, hear hear.
1: And 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 the, and the thing that I that I that just blows my mind is when you talk to someone on the phone and they don't see your color, right? And then you meet them, and then there's this moment. Ooh. Are you? Yeah, you know, I mean, I you know, being a department chair, many times people would come in and talk to my assistant, my secretary, who was who was white, and say hello. Uh, you know, I made an appointment with you. And then we would stop them because it was social work. And I was like, what makes you think she's a department mm. chair? And people get all flustered and say, oh. And I'm like, because you didn't think that there was a black department chair. Because I was teaching in a PWI, yeah. predominantly white institution. And there I was only... There was only two um, chairs of color. Yeah,
0: no, I've ha- I, I, yeah, I've had that being stopped. You know, at, um, at my, mm-hmm. old, at my old university, actually, you know, it was late at night, um, and I was in, you know, up in the, one of the corridors where the, where the, where the lecturers' uh, offices are, and a security guard came up to me and said, basically, what are you doing here? You know, you shouldn't be up here. And I was mm-hmm. like, why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I be up here? You know, mm-hmm. obviously, he thought I was a cleaner or a stu- I don't know who he thought I was, but he clearly mm-hmm. didn't think I, I, I should have been, you know, a, a lecturer. I'm not even, I'm not even a professor. Yet, I'm speaking it out there, you know, um, right. but, but but yeah, he didn't even think I should be a lecturer. And that speaks to, again, you know, I, I have suffered with imposter syndrome and thinking I don't belong and don't fit in. An experience like that just kind of, you know, just give you that one step back. You know, don't get me wrong, I, I take two steps forward afterwards, right. but it, it, it does knock you. It does knock confidence right. and, it, it, you know, it, it needs to stop. Right. Because they don't see colour, that's why. <laughs> there you go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there you go.
2: So, met Chantal. Chantel. There's a huge amount of what I would consider, and I want to get your views on this, but um, what would appear to be performative allyship, you know, particularly by large corporations in the wake of Black Lives Matter movement. Um, So before we move on to discuss what genuine, meaningful allyship looks like, can we talk a little bit about what performative allyship looks like?
0: So for me, perform- yeah, performative allyship is, you know, waving the banners, you know, you're wearing the lanyards, you've got the pin, you know, you're pinning it to your shirt. And yes, Black Lives Matter and I'm here for the cause. You know, they may have went to a few marches, um, a few t- tweets on, on Twitter. And then what? You know, it, it, it's the silence. It's the deafening silence that then follows. After the, you know, the, the, all the music fades and the sun sets and, you know, all the all the hype has died down. Where are you? Where... Where are you? You know, you're nowhere to be seen. You know, it's organizations making statements, um, having them on paper, but there's no action. There's no, there's no targets. There's nothing. There's no teeth um, um, to what to what they're saying. That's what I think. That's 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 my understanding of performative allyship. It's just a show. There's no tell. It's just
1: a show. Yes, it, you 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 spend a, a lot of co- corporations spend a lot of money of developing a logo, of hiring a DE and I officer, and then doing everything the same.
2: Uh, right? D-E-N-I, um, is that diversity, equality, uh, diversity, inclusion? Diversity,
1: yeah, equity and inclusion. Oh, Everybody okay. has a div- I mean, diversity, equity, inclusion. And in fact, many people will hire I trainers who do not look like the people talking that they're talking about. 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 It, yeah, <laughs> right? So it, it, it is more of a validation that I did something. And this is what we're examining right now. Because when you truly do the work, it becomes so difficult and people want to abandon it. You know, and, and what comes out of that is, but what about me? You know, we're always talking about brown and black people, but what about me? And that is when you're That's not an right. ally. First off, an ally is not a category that you get an ally button and you just wear and you can say, I'm an ally and go about and do your thing. Um, you know, I, I, I tell people now that we're resetting America and starting to come back out of your shell, it's a good it's a good time to, to reset. So who are the people that you really talk with. And most people have the same color friends, Mm -hmm. right? So now is the time to go out and find somebody who's a little bit different, to learn and to sit there and actively listen, not to tell somebody, well, if you follow me, I'm not you're make sure or, you're, you're, not, right. you're treated exactly them. right, right, right
0: <laughs> and right. do you know who talks about that as well there's a um, um, a Nigerian Irish writer um, Emma Emma Beery and she talks about allyship mm-hmm. um, she doesn't like the term allyship she talks about coalition a- allyship kind of um, mm-hmm. um, portrays kind of that white saviorism, you know where they're coming you know on exactly. their white horse and their unicorn to save you know save the black folk that are being you know um, um, crushed um, um, by society when it's not that you know it's about coming alongside as Mitt said it's about coming alongside mm-hmm. You know, and 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 champion the cause. You know, you know, you know, pushing forward that that agenda, um, but listening at the same time, listening to our lived experiences, listening to you know to, to what is what you know what what needs to be done, and not thinking you know best. You know, because you're white, or be, you know, because you, you you feel you're from the dominant class, you're you're going to tell us what needs to, what needs to happen.
2: I saw a video the other day about allyship, and it was a black woman, an African American woman, she's talking about explaining allyship, uh, and she's saying, you know, have you ever built a house? if a house was being built, would you ever show up and try to tell the builder, the construction worker, how, how to build the house? Build. <laughs> it's right. kind of the same with racism. Exactly. Don't tell a black person how to solve racism. Well, then, With that in mind, what does meaningful allyship look like? You know, we've talked about what nonsense allyship looks like, performative allyship looks like. What does meaningful allyship look like? And also, it was touched on, I think, by Mitt, what does it actually cost? What
0: does it cost?
1: Well, you know, it it's constant work. It, it's constant work to... Examine yourself right. and look at how does that affect people who are marginalized or have been oppressed, right? Um, and it's doing the work. And the reason why allyship—it's not a ship of people; it's not a club you join. Crew, like, it's call a crew. My yeah, it's a yeah. it crew. It, <laughs> it is. It is. You know, a, a real ally is when you're the only one, and people are because that's where the that's where the real discussion. Let's be honest. The real discussions occur when I'm out of the room, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, what does she want? Well, you know, why? They're constantly asking for stuff. And it takes that ally to be able to speak up and turn and say, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. You know, to, to challenge yourselves and others in your own, like, group. That's right. And that is very difficult to do, right? Uh, because most people, when, when you're there with brown and black people, oh, I'm an ally and I'm going to sit, learn, and listen, right? Mm-hmm. But, but then where do you take that? And, and so when you go back to your company and you're sitting there with your bosses, if you're a, a vice president, and you're sitting there and you're talking about, I, I always say this when it talks about how to keep people out, is they have to have experience. What's experience? Right. So I challenge people to say, how will before you hire a person, ask yourself, how will this person that is coming into the workforce uplift our our whole uh, Company, organization? Right. You know, if we have if. if Yeah. If if we don't have any Latino people, if we of a Latino person may not have 30 years experience, but if we need a Latino person to come to the table so that we can. Uh, begin to dismantle all of these things that we have, then maybe we need to hire that person. So, you know, being an ally is when you're out there amongst your own groups, speaking up with authority and even sometimes without your vote. Like, I can't vote mm-hmm. for that. Um, we we just had something that went on in our community and they wanted to use the word insanity. And I'm like, I can't do that. I, can't, I will sign on to that because NAMI, You know, people who struggle with mental illnesses, we don't use the word insanity, right? And people were like, oh, but you know, I'm like, no, I I can't sign on to that. That's when you have to learn how to speak up. And it is hard to be an ally, right? Uh, You have to, what I say, do the act of listening. And and by active listening, just sitting there and allowing a person to put a period on their sentence. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes when you're not an ally, you jump in. And think that you can, well, I know what you're doing. Again, you know best, right. Right, right, right. And you're like, did I ask for your help, Mm -hmm. right? So
0: um, Yeah, it is about it, that. And I think it, yeah. it's about that consistency mm-hmm. as well, mate. as you said, you know, it is mm-hmm. about that self, you know, really, really looking at, uh, looking at the self, that self-reflection, you know, mm-hmm. understanding where the gaps are in your knowledge, using, you know, using um, um, people with that lived experience to help fill, you know, fill those gaps. But it's also that continual process. I always talk about the lactic acid, you know, and I talk about, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's going dis- to be uncomfortable. You will feel discomfort, but you push through, just like a, an athlete push through that, that lactic acid moment. Mm-hmm. And once he gets through that, you Usain Bolt. <laughs> he then goes, you know, goes on and wins the gold medals. If he had stopped at, at the moment he feels that burn, you know, he wouldn't then go on to win. So it is about pushing through. It should feel uncomfortable. It will feel uncomfortable, but that also means you're doing it. Cor- you're doing it correctly. You know, is we don't mm-hmm. need saviors. It's about coming alongside. You know, listening, helping. You know, thinking, feeling, uh, 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 understanding your own privilege. You know, and understanding. You know what needs to be done in order to to, to, to progress the movement.
1: Chantelle, I was telling Andy at, at the very beginning. That what is bothering me now about social work is it says, oh, we got to put a de diversity, equity, and inclusion lens on everything, and we're going to have a new anti-racist statement. But the whole basis of social work, with the blood in your vein, of being a social worker means that you have been doing this, right? 100%, social a, this, justice. Right. This <laughs> is our foundation. This is our foundation. If you don't do it, then you haven't been practicing social work, honestly, right? Honestly, honestly.
0: You know? But I think because it, because racism or anti-racism isn't explicit, you know, you, 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 we, we do say anti-oppressive, anti-discriminatory. And what happens mm. then is, all the other protective characteristics are looked upon and race is pushed way to the bottom, you know. So this is is what's happening. But you're right. If you're a social worker, how can you not? How how do you think this is something new? This this should be something you should be doing anyway, regardless, point blank, period. Mm
2: -hmm. Can I ask a question? This kind of comes down to intersectionality. Um, So you're both black women. Um, If you think of misogyny and sexism um, throughout society and obviously with high profile cases such as the murder of Sarah Everard in the UK, at least, there is more of a focus than there has previously been in terms of misogyny and sexism. So if you um, as a woman are struggling against misogyny and sexism and you're also struggling against racism, if you are looking to address sexism within your own community, are you given a hearing or is that seen as a distraction from a, a more important, in inverted commas, issue, which is racism how do those two issues intersect do
0: you know what it is it's, it's, it's difficult because because the, the, you know the racism sexism they they, they they have a profound effect you know on, on an individual you know they they are the two they are two very dominant you know characteristics and you know a woman a black woman will be dis- discriminated for both things you know so even just looking at uh, uh the stats within social work you know um, a white male is six times more likely to be a senior manager you know than a, than a, than a black female um, I think it's really important that we understand each of the different uh, uh, protective characteristics, but also how they're combined, and then that is, a, you know, is a, is, a, is a double whammy, so to speak. You know, um, um, in in order, you know, for them to, to progress and, and to and to continue.
1: And so, when you look at intersectionality, you have to look at what overlaps, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and race is one that always overlaps all of them, right? Uh, I am I identify first as an African American. And then I identify as a, as a woman. I don't identify as a woman who's African American. Um, so you know, I always say, "How do you identify?" And most white women identify yeah. as a woman, right? Right. So what are the, what are the commonalities? And we're looking at that now in the U.S. as reproductive rights are under attack. And so I can I can help people understand, but what the work that I have to do, um, the energy that I have to use is how to alleviate racism in my lifetime, you know, because I, I, I'm going to tell you, if I can alleviate racism, I'll alleviate sexism, classism, mm. uh, all ageism and all that, because the ISM or the IST is how to treat everyone with, it, with equity, right? Um, no matter what it is. But the very fact that transgendered women here die in the United States or are murdered higher than any other group, why it, it it's because they're transgender, but it's also because they're black, right? Or or you'd have that same statistic with across all transgender mm. groups.
0: Yeah, race race does seem. Yeah, race is the key. You know, mm-hmm. race is is, is, mm-hmm. is as you said. You know, it is w- what people see first before they see gender mm-hmm. or anything else. Um, so yeah, I do agree with that.
1: And and, and here and, and just say here in the United States, our You know, we have extremists and then we have progressives and then we have moderates. Moderate white women tend to really kind of, they're fearful of what's going to happen to me, right? Their whole brain is set on, um, wow, my husband takes care of me. They're still on that classism Mm. mode. So they will always try to keep race because, wow, my kids are white. So I have to make sure that my kids have that upper Leverage. Right. So when it comes time to talking about what I talked about earlier, I don't want my white kids to feel bad when they're studying history versus I want my white kids to know about the truth. About all the <laughs> truth. So that they don't repeat the That's same right. mistakes.
0: That's right. You know, it is about dismantling systems. You know, we do need to understand mm-hmm. and educate and know, know what our history is. It's not black history. It's all of mm-hmm. our history. And it's important that all our children right. um, um, do learn um, so they can understand. Can,
2: can, I, can I recap just a little bit then? So we talked about uh, understand your privilege, uh, listen and do your homework, speak up, don't speak over. And I, I, I really liked what you said, uh, Mitt, about allowing someone to finish their sentence, let them put the full stop, the period, on the sentence. Now, there was one point actually before we move on, because I was going to move on, but the something that you had said, Chantelle, about learning from other people's lived experiences, that's not the same as going up to any black person and saying, tell me about, hey. tell me how to be an ally. You know, this is your responsibility to help me. Uh, that's entirely the wrong approach, isn't it? Yeah.
0: That is the wrong approach there's lots of books you can read there 's fictional you know, books, and that 's the thing you know right. a black person 's experience isn 't just lived through you know the, the, their, their interactions with whiteness you know we are normal people with normal regular you know uh, ways of being as well so you can read you know uh, uh, fiction non fiction you know you can read the stories about how you know how how black people and how you know cultural and you know uh, the different ways we, we we relate to each other um, there, there are loads of different you know Google is great. But it's not the only, you know, the only tool <laughs> that people can, right. can use to, to educate themselves. And it's not also, you know, about, as you said, asking somebody to tell me. If somebody wants to tell you their story, of course, that's fine. You know, but there are loads of things that are written right. out there and there, there are loads of different ways um, people can find that information out.
1: And everyone does not have, who's black, have the same lived experience. Don't assume all, thing, all yeah. African-Americans are from the inner city, that they don't have, a, that they didn't grow up in an intact family. I mean, so when you have those it's so one of the other things is to be aware of your implicit biases, to be aware of mm-hmm. why did I think that and where did that come from? Yeah. Where did that come from?
2: So when people yeah. have, even when people have good intentions and they are trying their best, they're going to make mistakes. That's reality. And no one's going to get things right from the outset. If somebody is trying to be an anti-racist ally and they do something which is stupid or they do something which is upsetting unintentionally, how do you handle that? What should you do? I, I'm aware that, you know, you don't want, if you've upset somebody, you don't want to force an apology on them by way of making yourself feel better. But so I think that's important to kind of, mm-hmm. that we, we reflect on that. What to do if you're trying your best with good intentions, but you are getting it wrong.
0: I- to, for me, I would say just genuinely own that. Just mm-hmm. own it. Just be genuine. Just be real. And I think that for me is the is the key. You know, um, you will get things wrong. You know, it is a delicate subject. It is a subject that you you know usually you're not used to speaking about. It's very emotive, and it does conjure up a lot of you know of of of, of uh, um, um, emotions. You know, deep feelings. Um, but yeah, if you if you realize you have said something you know incorrect or you you've made an assumption, you know, just 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 say sorry. You Know what should I say? You know, and maybe ask. You know, what should I, What? Sh- how should I re- re- refer to? You? What should I use? You know, and and ask the question instead of making those assumptions and steamrolling in. You know, into particular situations. Just just kick back and, and
1: ask. And I think civility is important in all conversations, right? You know, there always has to be those ground rules that people will say things and do things. Uh, I, I think the thing that people have to be aware of is. Whereas, like, why do your people? Those things, there's certain hot buttons that just trigger people. Mm. Like, your people, what are you talking about? You know, who people are you talking <laughs> about? And to be able to apologize or to even say, if I use the language, you know, I, I'm nervous. If I Please stop me. and Please tell, tell me. me. Exactly. Right. Yeah, please exactly. tell me. But then it's not to. And I always say, here's our Karen moments when people start crying. Right. Now, mm. I, I'm just like, oh, my God, don't cry. Because now... You know, now I got to kind of make you feel good, right? Um, learn to sit and settle and also learn to, to say that if Shantae says something, Shantae, what I thought I heard you say. Was that correct? Was right, that correct? Right, right. Was that correct? Right? But even,
2: even yeah. in that there's a conscious, you're having to, you know, give up some power to somebody else. You're having to say, I don't know what I'm talking about here. This is your experience. You know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. So even in doing that, there is a sacrifice. And I suppose if someone is incapable of making that sacrifice, they are, mm-hmm. pardon me, they're not going to be much of an ally.
0: And, and exactly. And why, right. what, what's wrong with being vulnerable? Why, right. wh- wh- what is so difficult in that for somebody? That's the part that I, yeah, I don't understand. You know, every you, you, you don't know everything. You, you shouldn't know everything. So why is it so difficult for you to just, you know, as, as as Mitt said, you know, if I say something that that that's wrong, if I say something that offends you, please tell me. I want you to tell me. You know, it's the same when you go into somebody's home as a social worker. You know, and you know you're trying to find out about that family, and you, you're not quite sure. You need to ask that family. You don't go in and pretend you know everything because right. you're the social worker. Well, you don't, you don't, know, you don't know that family and what they do and 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 uh, how they live their life. You know, so, so yeah, how dare you?
1: And and what I tell people is, let's put this on racial identity theory. You know, let's kind of look at the stages, pre-encounter. I never really thought about it before. So when you're in that pre-encounter stage, you're like, oh, wow, does that happen? Then you go into an encounter stage where you realize, well, people are treated different based on their lived experience. Then you Mm -hmm. go into an immersion stage where you learn as much as you can. And that's generally where allies will come and no question. And then you come out of an immersion stage where you emerge. Then the most important stage to me in critical race theory is internalization. How do I internalize everything that I've learned, right? And then the final stage is internalization, where you internalization commitment, where now I'm committed to to taking everything that I've internalized and go out. It is a process, Andy. And I, I, I always say to facilitators who engage people in conversations like that, they have to be skilled facilitators because they have that's to know right. where people are. You know, I might have somebody that's very new to this process, has never talked about it before, to somebody that's way over here. It's like being in the first grade and being in college, right? Right. And so how mm-hmm. do you bring those conversations together?
2: Yeah,
0: exactly. And yeah, you're right. You have to meet people where they're exactly. at and work with them there. Right. You know, you can't work with John if John, you know, as, as, as if he's in college when he's only at, as you said, first base. Exactly. You know, you have to start there and take those steps. Mm-hmm. And it's the consistency. And, and, and it is that, mm-hmm. that you know, uh, um, um, that consistency. Yeah.
2: If we can talk about some examples of trying to deliver or, uh, organizational change, for example, Chantel, you've told me before, In just in chats we've had Mm -hmm. about a mentoring scheme that you're involved in, not with Baswood, but in your other role um, as an academic. Tell us a bit about that and how that works and and what you hope it will deliver.
0: Yeah. So this mentoring role. So, you know, it it was initially termed reverse mentoring. There's been a bit of a challenge with that term because reverse, you know, means backwards as though, you know, it's, 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 you know, there's some sort of disadvantage. But of course it, it is about, you know, uh, uh, working with, so a, you know, a black or brown person, working with a senior leader to try to help them understand what it means, you know, what, what my life experience is, and what it means for me working in the university, and what um, kind of uh, 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 what's my life experience, and you know, inside and outside of the university. So um, it. it my university, as in most universities, the senior leadership, you know, is white. Um, and in order for them to, you know, to uh, uh, make good on their promises and the commitments that we have um, around closing the, 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 the awarding gap, the attainment gap, you know, and looking at progression of, of, of black students, they need to understand what it means to be black. So, yeah, so we, we, we meet on a, on a usually monthly, uh, six weekly basis. Uh, we have a structured agenda. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I am the mentor, he's the mentee, you know, and we have those conversations, you know, sometimes I might give him some reading to do, or sometimes, you know, we, we will talk about a podcast, you know, so, you know, we, we set the tone depending on what, uh, what the topic of the conversation is, or the topic of, of that session, you know, and again, as I said, it's about helping um, 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 push that that organizational change, helping him understand you know what my lived experience is, as I said at the beginning, narrative and storytelling are, are really, really important to help those particularly when they have no friends or no uh, acquaintances or even colleagues you know of a different race or a different color or a different have had different life experiences. How are they going to understand but by listening to the media and you know other negative forms you know so really, really powerful um and it I, I think it's definitely uh, you know one way of of
1: helping. A uh,
2: uh, uh, push forward. That's great, Matt. Have you any similar examples? Or? Well,
1: I, I've launched. I've launched at Howard University um, underneath John and Barbara Jacob. It is a fellowship, and we have eight students who are now. Uh, social work, social justice uh, fellows, and that whole they all had to devo- develop an artifact. Where do they see social work in 10 or 20 years? And now we have to look at how you're going to get there, right? So, you know, some people would use Black Lives Matter Street. Well, so I want them to go back and examine, there were Black Panther parties, there were parties. Cesar Chavez, all of the different people who worked towards change, right? And how difficult it was Right. And how and how there is going to be the duck walk three steps forward, two steps back.
0: Two steps back. But you've (laughs) got to be
1: able to keep your vision ahead of you or you get dismantled. So what does it take to make sure that all black people have equity? Right. Right. What, What do you need to know about it from an entrepreneur? What corporations are funding that, right? How can you bring down some of those dollars? How do you put the concept in so that it's equity for all? Have we looked at Native Americans and indigenous people in our country? Have we looked at Latino? Have we looked at all of the groups that are oppressed? Um, And say, I'm a firm believer, if you know your history, you won't repeat your mistakes. But far too often, because of our computer and our social media We Wikipedia everything, and that has no source. So I want people to go back and look at the evolution of the civil rights movement was a movement. It wasn't five years. We are still engaged in a civil rights movement. Uh, So we've got to go back and look at and understand where we're going. And if you don't have a vision, Andy, you get lost, right? You have to engage networks of people. So that you can call on them. can You can say, Look, I tried this, but whatever. I mean, the, the best thing that I did for me was graduating from two HBCUs. Not so much, I mean, yeah, the education was great, but I have colleagues who are in medicine who are that I can call on and who can tell me what's happening in your field. Am I wrong? Right? Because sometimes that imposter syndrome that you, you talked about, Chantel, sometimes you're mm-hmm. like, Whoa, am I too far? Is it me? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so I, I but but also teaching in a predominantly white institution, I have done that same thing because I head up social work. Uh, and I tell people, really, I mean, we're, we're doing this right now at NASW. We're examining all the policies, throwing out anything that was just status quo, doesn't bring new people to the table. And, and the backlash is, oh, this is hard. Oh, you know, it's like it becomes MIT. This isn't MIT, yeah. right? This isn't because mm-hmm. I'm a black woman who happens to be president of NASW. This is the best for NASW, who I know has 70% white membership, right? So this is the best for the profession because if we don't check this how do we go out into the community and work with others? And tell people mm-hmm. what to do.
0: That's right. And I think that's what it is. You know, get your own house, get your own house in order before you're out there telling mm-hmm. others what to do. Exactly. Um, and because so yeah.
1: people see it as critical. You, you, you're saying we didn't do this before. No, we're not. St- we're all here together and, and moving this together. And my favorite thing to anybody who's engaged in this work, never move to the next step until you can mm-hmm. bring everybody else along. You know, I mean, I, I in my class, I taught. About racism, you know, uh, power plus privilege equals racism. Racism. I would say to people, until everybody in this class understands that, if we have to spend 15 weeks on just that definition, that's what we'll do. We will do that. Because if we don't, (laughs) our foundation is
0: broken, right? Yeah, yeah. There's no point of moving on.
2: Mitch, Chantel, when we made the last episode, we discussed barriers faced by black people in terms of educational achievement. We've kind of touched on that already as well today and progression in employment. Now, when we consider this in the context of social work, I want to talk about what allyship looks like in terms of supporting people from an ethnic minoritized background in relation to these issues. So, you know, from a UK perspective, positive discrimination that is prevented by the Equality Act. Um, the concept of positive action isn't. And one useful example I found was, um, so if an employer has records that show that its employees from a particular minoritized group are underrepresented at management level, for example, they could run a management training course targeted at employees from that group, but then the employer couldn't favour candidates from that group at the expense of other candidates when recruiting managers. So that's, that's an example of, um, of positive action. Um, rather than positive discrimination. How do, how do things work in the States?
1: It works the same way, but what we're up against is institutionalized racism. Because as okay. our government is beginning to pass laws that say it's illegal to do this and it's illegal to do that, it, 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 it takes to the heart of the funding. So if you, like critical race theory, all social work programs, there's over 700 and some social work programs in the U.S., if, if in, in various states they're passing, that that cannot be a part of your curriculum. If it's not a part of your curriculum, then we don't have a social work program. Okay. So we have to kind of band together, not only with ourselves, but build coalitions within medicine and history. I mean, I, I always say we have to go and get medicine doctors, nurses, uh, everybody lawyers, to the everybody table. everybody mm-hmm. to the table. Because as soon as we disrupt that and say the government can say what we teach, then the employers can say... So, you know, okay, well... We'll give everybody equal access, but we still have the same structures yeah, and we're exactly. not changing we're not it. Changing it.
0: Right. Yeah. See, right. I thought it was just a Trump administration. I didn't realize that Biden, too, was still pushing um, for that critical race, you know, theory not to be not to be taught. No, you know? it's not.
1: The, it's not the Biden administration. Oh, at OK, all. OK. It's the governors who make that decision got because see, okay. they they control the Department of Education in got their particular are. state. Politics is so not master- school board, <laughs> Right. Right. And so yeah. it, it's your, you know, really what we need more social workers are at the school board. Mm. Well, do you know right now in the States, it was just released by the Department of Defense, I forget what, uh, the AG's office. People whose lives are being threatened are school board members. Do You know how much school board members make? Zero hey, dollars, right? Say, Their pittance. children are being threatened. And so all of this um, thing, and, and it's the same thing in academia. The professors are being threatened. Mm. Um, you, you're, you won't get your funding. You won't get your grant. But it has nothing That's to do with it. It has a lot to do with... Um, these these institutional barriers.
0: Just, just thinking about in my university, we do have a diversified leadership program. And again, I think that speaks to, you know, trying to, you know, help and encourage um, help, help, help! You know, black and minoritized people. You know, uh, understand the landscape in order to to kind of push through. You know, as I mentioned, I did mention before about imposter syndrome, and that is something probably you know white and, and black people uh, 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 probably uh, uh, face as well. But it's about understanding what that means and how to build your networks. As, as Mitt said, you know, we don't have um, predominantly black universities or colleges in the UK, so it's 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 a bit more difficult to kind of build those uni- uh, um, networks and build those contacts and have those people to lean on and and ask. You know, is it me? Is Is it, 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 you know, what is going on here? You know, so, um, yeah, there are ways of of positive action, um, uh, but there's still, you know, there's so much more that needs to be done. You know, the the, the stats speak for themselves.
2: Matt and Chantal, I could talk to you for the rest of the evening. Uh, I, I always enjoy talking to you. And we're going to wrap. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, Mitt, for um, joining me and Chantelle again. Chantelle, as always, thanks. It's great to chat to you.
0: Thank you very much, Andy. Lovely to talk. Mitt, always lovely to speak with oh, you. Always, we're going to be on each other's shore soon. That's I'm all. telling all right. you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Andy.